Welcome to this peer voice activity. To access the entire activity, including downloadable slides and transcript, go to www.peervoice.com forward slash BCD. This independent learning activity is funded by Sanofi Canada. When we see patients now, a lot of us in the first line setting have moved to immunotherapy and chemotherapy. But, you know, what regimen, what immunotherapy, what chemotherapy, and all of these are questions that we sort of face every day. So when we see our patients, of course, we're putting them through panels to make sure we're not missing a driver mutation. When those patients are wild type, we look at the pdl one status. And from this slide, you can sort of see that if you have high pdl one We've got some choices, pembrolizumab, zimiplumab, and atezolizumab. When there's a patient who's young, high burden of disease, needs a response, the immunotherapy with chemotherapy, the response rate is slightly higher. So that's an option as well. In the PDA1, lower than 50%, that's where we're really looking at immunotherapy with chemotherapy. So we have choices. And in today's discussion, we're going to be concentrating on and how do you choose to give the combination of IO and chemo. First, starting off with the sort of what we've been using the longest, chemotherapy with pembrolizumab. These two trials in non-squamous histology, the Keynote 189, and in squamous histology, the Keynote 407. We all know this data. When you look at the shape of the curves, the very nice thing is they split, they say split, and there's that immunotherapy, that sort of flattening of the curve. And those are patients that are alive and well, even up to five years. Unfortunately, it's still the minority of patients that are alive at five years. So we still look to the science to try to do better. Well, I'm going to ask my colleague, Dr. Wheatley Price, to comment on the semiplomab and chemo data that was presented. Thanks for inviting me to be part of this. And yeah, I think the semiplomab data we have to put in context with the data from Keynote 189 and 407 that you just showed. And the things that I take from that are that the people who did complete full two years of therapy on the Keynote 189 and 407 studies, when they were then followed, the majority of them are still alive three years after that. So you do get these very durable responses. And we're starting to see that now with semiplumab. Semiplumab is one of the other immunotherapy drugs, which has been initially used in squamous cell skin cancer. Anecdotally, now we're starting to hear from our colleagues who use this drug more with skin cancers, that actually they do find it very tolerable. And it's also a flat dose, which can help with some of the dosing issues that we have in Canada around vial sharing issues with pembrolizumab. So semiplumab, I think, is going to be a new option and there may be certain advantages to using it. Yeah, that's a great sort of roundabout on that trial. So now talking about immunotherapy with not just one immunotherapy drug, but actually two, the Chequin inhibitor, nivolumab, and the CTLA inhibitor, ipilimumab. This is the 9LA data, two cycles of chemotherapy with nevo-ipi. There are certain populations, especially the pda one negative, that I think it has a scientific rationale. I think there is a controversy a little bit in my mind with that study because it was compared to chemo and not with Pembro chemo. In our center, my colleagues and I haven't really adopted this, although the group that I like it in is people who have had platinum-based chemotherapy in the adjuvant setting or in stage three lung cancer and then have relapsed quite quickly at a short platinum and then get the CTLA-4. And I think this looks attractive to me. So atezolizumab has multiple trials, some which are positive, some which are negative. These are the positive trials, the IMPAR-130 and the 150. 
in the non-squamous histology. I want to just point out the Empire 150 because I think it's really interesting. It's not used in Canada, but this had a very small group of patients with EGFR and elk, but they were not stratified and they were not looked at in terms of previous treatments. But in those patients who were EGFR, they did extremely well with this combination. Paul, do you want to talk about the safety in the three trials? Yeah, I think the thing that I take from this is this intriguing look at semiplumab and this lower rate of grade three and four adverse events compared to the Keynote 189 and 407 trials in particular, because I think they're the ones that are most you know, directly relevant when we're thinking of semiplumab. The Empower studies haven't really got a lot of traction. One thing that might be intriguing about semiplumab is the trial did report really quite low rates of immunotherapy-related side effects, lower than we're used to seeing. What do you think about the rate of grade 3, 4, and 9 LA? Does that surprise you? I don't like to compare that one, particularly okay. with the others, because it's just two chemos and you're adding a CTLA-4. So I find it's a little bit harder to make that interpretation. In Canada, we do have experience through CCTG studies of using quadruple sure. RB, chemo and PD-1 and CTLA-4. So I don't think it needs to scare us off. Yeah, I agree. So when we're making these decisions of, you know, which regimen we should use in patients with high expression or even low expression, I'm going to remind the audience that we're talking about wild type. I get a lot of questions in patients who have like 100% pdl one but they're EGFR positive. And when you're talking about a driving mutation like EGFR, ignore the pdl one The EGFR trumps it. Concentrating on those patients who have high expression, greater than 50%, how do you choose to give the combination of IO and chemo? Remembering all the combination trials included the greater than 50 as well. Paul, what do you think about brain metastases? Does that play a role in how you might choose a combination? I'm not sure if I'm an outlier here or not, Bob, but I think increasingly I do not look at brain metastases as a special group in the way that we used to. I think so many drugs do get across the blood-brain barrier. And I have to say, I'm not putting a lot of weight to that in the selection of systemic therapy. There is that other group where there's maybe a bulky disease, lots of liver metastases or a big bulky lymph nodes. You think, well, if this person doesn't respond to IO on its own, they may well be too unwell for chemo six, eight weeks from now. Those are all excellent points. Now, obviously, we look at their smoking status. I think that's extremely important. Patients who are non-smokers, even if their pd one is high, do not give them single-agent Hembro or Semiplumab. The Semiplumab single-agent trial excluded patients that were non-smokers. Those patients are special. I have a patient who was in his late 70s and presented with stage 4 adenocarcinoma of the lung and on our molecular profiling that we were doing at the time, he was a wild type. His PDL one level was greater than 50% and he was a non-smoker. This was about four or five years ago. I prescribed pembrolizumab monotherapy and that was the wrong thing to do. And I think now we have to recognize that if we see a non-smoker, the PDL one level is not as accurate a predictor of benefit from immunotherapy as it is among those who have a stronger tobacco exposure. And it's likely that there is an occult driver mutation or abnormality that has not been detected. So his best response was just stable disease. And then he progressed. And then our NGS panels were updated. And I started screening people for NTRAC fusions 
And it turns out that he has an NTRK fusion and now has been doing fabulously for over two years. So yeah. these patients, I think it's combination chemo IO and look carefully for a mutation. Paul, do you want to talk about those patients that you need a fast response if they're greater than 50% and, you know, who are those patients? Right. Well, I could give you an example, actually, of another patient who recently I saw who kind of fits a couple of these categories. So a lady under 50 and in hospital going into respiratory failure with a multi-month history of worsening cough and shortness of breath and a lifelong non-smoker. And then finally, it turns out that it's one of these mucinous type adenocarcinomas. And so there's two reasons here that we wanted to start with chemo and immunotherapy. One for the reason we've already discussed and that she was a non-smoker. But let's say for the sake of argument that she had tobacco exposure, then we're in the situation where I really need a rapid response because this lady is in hospital. She's a short push away from being intubated and going to the intensive care unit. So then what do you do? So I would be interested in your opinion. So I think I'm giving IO and chemo when the burden of disease is high, mostly because I think the response rate, as you said, I'm not sure if it's more rapid, but is higher from the combination trials. I think it's really important to remember that in Canada, if we start with single agent immunotherapy and it doesn't work or the patient progresses, we can't add chemotherapy to it. So I wanted to, first of all, thank everyone for listening to this presentation. I'd like to thank Paul. And if I was to summarize, I think choices are good. Most of us are choosing single agent immunotherapy in patients with high expression of pd one and we have choices there. But I certainly think that many of us have now got familiar in practice with the immunotherapy combinations with chemotherapy, and we have choices there. Bob, thanks again for inviting me to join you on this. Immunotherapy has made a huge difference for so many people with advanced non-small cell lung cancer, but there's still the majority that we need to do better at. I think the second point is really identifying subgroups of patients who should maybe get combination treatment up front. And we've talked about in particular people with non-smokers or maybe rapidly progressive disease. And then the third thing is maybe just to look to the future and what are the new things coming. I think there's a lot of hope for the future, Bob, and I'm quite optimistic. This has been an activity published by Peer Voice.